Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. Born in the land of enchantment, my guest today is a novelist whose work has appeared in Family Circle Magazine, Military Times, and in several anthologies. A 2021 Willa Literary Award finalist in contemporary fiction for her novel, The Flying Cutterbucks. She has been writing professionally for more than 45 years. Her debut novel, The Final Salute, was a 16-year effort and released on her 50th birthday. It was featured in USA Today, the Associated Press, and Military Times. She's a two-time finalist for the Military Writers Society of America Writer of the Year Award and recently gave a talk about not giving up at their national conference in New Orleans. She resides in North Texas and is working on her sixth novel. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Kathleen M. Rogers. Thank you, Julia. This is such an honor. And I have to plug, we finally met in person and just connected at Women Writing the West National Conference in Oklahoma City in October. And wasn't that glorious? It was great. And I just really found a sisterhood there, especially with you, Kathleen. Our opening question on authors over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write a book? So this was the first novel. This is the third edition. I started the final salute in 1992 in the house, in this room where I'm here today. I was 34 years old. I'm 64 now. I had two little boys. Just because I'd written and published in Family Circle Magazine, had millions of readers and newspapers it was a different animal than writing a novel. And it took me 16 years to figure out how to how to write the book that grew up to become the final salute. Over 100 rejections, not exaggerating, 100 revisions. Uh, I thought it was done the first three years. I had an agent waiting. I didn't sign a contract, but I'd met this agent at a writer's conference in Louisiana at the time where I lived when my husband was still flying fighters in the Air Force. And he gave me a deadline. And I think if he hadn't given me a deadline to send him three chapters, I might not be sitting here today. I would have still been the dreamer. Um, But what kept me going 
sometimes I have to think I've been reflecting. I came in this space this morning before we came on here to talk and I'm feeling very grateful. We're recording a few days before Thanksgiving. So I'm, I'm feeling gratitude, abundance of gratitude that I'm still here. My boys grew up and now I have a young grandson who will be here uh, maybe tomorrow. And he comes into my office that he calls the magic place and what my husband calls knickknacks and talismans to my grandson Colton everything's magic because we create magic and we have to find our happiness but um, I stayed with it because even though I had all the credits from a national magazine and I sold to them several articles over 10 years and and I just you know kept freelancing I wanted to be a traditionally published novelist because I love novels. I respect the novel form, the long story. And um, May of 2008, I was looking at my 50th birthday looming that October. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 50, 50 years old. My novel is still not published and that was unacceptable so one day i just started googling again because i'd given up so many times and but i kept working at it i found a small traditional press in ocean side california and it was called leatherneck publishing i contacted them they asked for a full the publisher wrote back and said i'm sorry my my military team he had these advisors said, this isn't the book for me, even though I you got the jargon down. You know what I did, Julia? I cried, hugged my dog, Bubba, at the time. He's gone now. My youngest son was home and he went fishing. And I sat down and fired off an email to this publisher. I was very polite and cordial. But I said, if you had published my book, I would have worked my you-know-what off to promote and market the book. An hour later, I went out to the pool just to cry and with my dog and I came back and there were three emails in the subject line. Please call me. Second email, it's important that you call me. The third email, the only thing in the subject line was a phone number. My youngest son walked in from fishing. He was home from Texas Tech and I told him this deal. He goes, mom, open it up. Maybe he's giving you a second chance. I'm the second chance gal. And that's what happened. And that book came out, no kidding, on my 50th birthday, 2008. So turning 50, whoo, what a breeze. It was the 51st one that was like, oh, oh, I'm 51. Okay. Well, I have to think that being a military wife gave you all the discipline and strength and perseverance that you needed to, to get to that, that agent, that publisher. And, and so I salute you and all of our military families who mean so much to us. Thank you, Julia. And, and the thing that kept going, kept me going with that first novel, and I don't want to dwell in it too much, but it got me here. Even though there's workplace politics and a bit of a scandal, what the whole theme was really about is um, I paid an honor to all those fighter pilots who took off in their jets one day and never returned or 
you know, and most of those were peacetime training missions. When I met my husband and we got married, he'd already lost over 50 friends, uh, close friends, acquaintances, squadron buddies. And, and Tom went to Southeast Asia, so he was in the tail end of the Vietnam War, but most of the losses were peacetime training missions. Yeah. It's just incredible to even think about. Kathleen, what is your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? You have got to have some routine down to write all these novels that you've written since that first one. So confession, um, like I don't really have a routine right now because I am I am working on the sixth one, but it's mostly daydreaming. I've been daydreaming since I was a little girl in Clovis, New Mexico, sitting in a rocking chair, not wasting time because I, I was daydreaming. Um, but when I'm on a roll, when I go to bed at night, when I wake up at two and three in the morning, I get up, I feed my dogs, I get my coffee breakfast. In the old days, I'd go running, but I haven't run. I try to go walking occasionally, but I worry. I don't so much write my novels. I worry them into being, I'm living them. And yes, half the time I'm in la la land. Uh, my husband, you know, earth to Kathy, um, you know, but um, in the old days, in the old days, when my sons, they're 37 and 35 now, when they were little boys, and I was working on the first novel. Having kids, having a school schedule, man, that was my built-in schedule. And I was lucky to stay home then. Uh, Tom was flying for the airlines. And I treated my writing. It, it was my day job. And I used to hang a sign on the front door that says, I'm here, but I'm hiding. Actually, I'm writing. And a few friends never quite got that. But that's back in the days when everybody, hey, let's go to lunch. Bunch of the moms, you know, let's drop our kids off. Let's go shopping. I'm like, I could do that and I could meet more people. But then my novel would never get written. So I was kind of always, I tried to fit in, but I've never really ever fit in. I am always, as many of us, we're kind of always that outsider peeking in the window at other people's lives. Well, and that's where that imagination is fueled, you know, in your alone time, I think. Yes. I don't think being out in, in busyness really helps us get any words on paper. The only time is if we listen and we, <laughs> we pick up some interesting conversations. Well, that's true. That's very true. You know, so many of us don't like to promote ourselves. We would rather be writing. Have you found any publicity that worked for you? So here's what I do. I will promote myself, but after a few days or after a short time, it feels icky. So what I do, I turn around and I promote other people. And that's exactly what you're doing, Julia, you are promoting so many other people with your authors over 50 and it's very becoming very popular. Well, I think that we have to pay it forward. You know, our community of writers is such a generous community that it makes us want to promote other people because everybody's been so kind and generous to us. And that's so true. And even though we're all writing and 
there's room for everyone. There's enough readers out there. Um, no one's going to, you know, take away from our, that person's in the spotlight right now. Okay. There's times when I'm not in the spotlight. I've worked so hard. Well, step back. It's time for someone else. And, and, you know, it's the one thing nobody really likes to talk about in our industry is the green monster and jealousy. I'm here to tell you right now, it exists because I have had to, I've had to catch myself and say, oh, stop it and step back and say, wait a minute. I'm happy for them because if it were me, I would want them to be happy for me. Kathleen, can you describe the editing process you choose? So, oh, that's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> so I try to revise on my own as much as I can. And then when I'm ready and I think the manuscript is done and as polished as I can get it with my weaknesses and after all these books and writing for magazines, I, I definitely know my weaknesses. I have... Um, a copy editor I trust in Wisconsin. Her name's Joyce Gilmer. And I always contact her first and say, do you have time to work me in? And I've, I've worked with her now on all my books. I trust her. I know her in person. We met years ago at a writing conference and she's worth every penny. And I'm terrible at formatting. She's also very good. And I'm comfortable with her like, oh my gosh, Joyce, help. That's great. I love to build a team that you can always depend on. Yeah. Teamwork is, I think, essential. I never want to feel like I'm totally alone, even though we write alone and we're alone up here. But she's definitely, and I try to learn. I'm a slow learner, but I try to learn as I go. I try to learn from when we go through, and she's old school. She'll print it out and she she goes through it by hand. And then we go that route. My latest manuscript was finished in May this year, sent it off. Joyce did all the copy editing. And then once I found a new agent, she loved it, but she wanted me to go back through it again and some specific things. And I went and I added a thousand words, weaving it in the story for reader payoff. She wanted me to think about reader payoff. And, um, so it's always the process. And now I'm waiting, hopeful, hopeful a publisher will come on board and say, we love your story. Don't want to do a thing. Ha ha. That's so true. That's what we always want to hear. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book you've brought to share today and then read from it so we can hear your tone and voice. Okay, and this is my fourth novel, The Flying Cutter Bucks. And instead of the uh, elevator pitch, I want to read one of my favorite um, blurbs or endorsements. I love them all and I'm honored by them all, but it's from Johnny Bernhard, whose latest novel is Hannah and Ariella, if I said it correctly. Sorry, Johnny, if I butchered that. Johnny says about the flying cutter bucks. When national politics trigger a buried family secret, the Cutterbuck women do what they do best, persevere. Their story is the story of a resilient American family, fragile in its unmitigated loss, 
triumphant in the ties that bind, with a page-turning narrative and an authentic sense of place, the flying cutter bucks will make you laugh and cry while never forgetting the voices of Jewel, Aunt Star, Trudy, and Georgia. That's wonderful. And the story is set in eastern New Mexico uh, against the backdrop of the last two presidential elections. I'll read a short passage. The only way I'm going to set it up is Trudy Cutterbuck is our protagonist. She's late 50s. She's a retired flight attendant from Southwest, home to at her mother's. Her father has been missing in action in Vietnam, a, a fighter pilot. This is a dream. So this is a dream sequence. And she's in her mother's backyard with her rescue dog, Zia. The dream that woke her at sunrise returned. As she walked to the edge of the patio to keep an eye on the dog, the dream reeled through her mind like an old memory, wanting to capture it in writing to help her make sense of it. She pulled out her smartphone, opened the notes app and began thumbing the keys on her screen. Alone on the shoulder of a steep mountain road, I stood in the bend of a hairpin curve and searched the deep canyon below. All I could see for miles were large boulders dotted with prickly pear cacti and the occasional glint of metal from some long ago wreckage. Then from somewhere behind me, the sound of children singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall echoed through the mountain pass, whipping my hand around, my excuse me, whipping my head around. I watched Mama's station wagon careen around the curb in the road and sail over the side of the mountain. But instead of crashing into the canyon below, the station wagon sprouted wings and rode the thermals across the tranquil sky. As the sound of children's voices faded, and I longed to join them. A passenger door flung open and bogey tumbled out. From my spot on the road, I thrust giant arms skyward for I was the big sister and it was my job to catch him. But no matter how far I stretched, I couldn't reach him for my arms weren't long enough. When I woke up, my eyes leaked with tears and Zia stared at me from her spot on the bed where she rested her chin on my belly. That's so poignant, Kathleen. Thank you. I, I wanted to capture any of us of a certain age, if we're here over 50, most of us probably remember station wagons, riding around in station wagons. If we didn't have one, our friends or neighbors did. And I've always been haunted by that image of a station wagon flying through the air and long before Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I just love that image of, you remember when we're kids and you're riding along and if you don't have AC or you're not allowed to turn it on, you have the window rolled down. And what do we do as kids? We flung our arms out, pretending to fly. Yeah. 
Exactly. And we climbed over the seats. There were no seat belts. And we sat backwards looking out the back where the cars were right behind us. We did a lot of dangerous things in those station wagons. We did. And the nine passenger, and that's the third seat, was the one that faced. Talk about getting car sick. And usually the AC was only in the front. So if you were riding in that third seat, it was hot. Kathleen, does writing energize you or exhaust you? It does both. Right now, while I'm searching for novel six, you know, I'm scribbling, I'm researching. I feel this sense of of restlessness and I, I feel kind of lost. And yeah, I could just sit down and just start typing, but that's not the kind of writer. I finally trust my process. I'm still searching like I can envision myself in this open field out there on the plains in West Texas, New Mexico. And I'm spinning around in the buffalo grass and I'm calling to the four winds. Y'all come find me. Come on, characters. I'm the vessel. Let me tell your story. Come. I need you as much as you need me. Tell us more about your process after those characters begin to talk to you. Then how do you begin the journey? I, I'm not an outliner. I'm messy. I wrote a, a blog years ago for Southern Writers Magazine called Writers. Uh, writing is messy, but it's my process. I scribble. I'm still old school in that I love a good mechanical pencil and either index card spiral notebooks, sticky notes. I have cobbled. All of my books have been cobbled together in some way from handwritten notes. I love now, I love technology. I've got a laptop, MacBook Air. I've got my iPhone. I use everything uh, to get my story down, but it could be where I'm not quite sure I can be feeding the dogs, standing at the kitchen sink, in the shower, driving down the street. Boom. There it is. It happened two mornings ago when a line came to me and it made me grin. And it's kind of bizarre. But then I'm like, get it down, get it down. Turn the water off. Get over to the kitchen table. Grab your pencil. Grab a sticky note. And I'm like, oh, this makes me want to write this sixth book. I don't know where it's going. So my process is scene spinning. Uh, writing is hard for me and I'm slow and I'm a slow reader, but I also kind of want to know. So what the end is. And sometimes I, I write kind of towards that. I've also been known on almost every book to write out of sequence. Here's the thing though. And none of my books are quite linear. They usually have a bit of a dual timeline, some flashbacks, that kind of thing. But I'm always trying to keep my reader oriented because I respect the reader. But when I write out of sequence, I know that I can figure out how to cobble. If I'm over here, even though if I don't know quite what's going to happen here to get here, I'll figure it out. My characters will help me. 
Well, I really think we do need to leave notebooks and pencils lying around because those ideas do come. And I'm going to have to put one beside my bed because I do wake up after dreaming and I'll have some ideas. But by the time I get to the shower, they're gone. <laughs> it's, it's so important. And to trust our dreams, I'll just show you. This was my third novel, Seven Wings to Glory. At 3 a.m. years ago, I sat straight up in bed. Tom was still flying for American. He's coming out in his airline uniform at 3 a.m. to tell me goodbye. Off he goes into the wobbly yonder. I woke up. There's my hubby in his airline uniform. And I woke up and I said, seven wings to glory. And he said, what? I said, I don't know. I what what is that? I and realizing I just woke up with this seven wings to glory in my head. And I looked at Tom half joking and I said, Ah, oh, that would make a great title for a novel or a story. What does it mean? And he said, Babe, I'm sure you'll figure it out. That morning I went back to sleep. I scribbled it out on a sticky note by my bed. Went back to sleep knowing whatever it's it's here on a piece of paper so I can relax because if we don't get it down what what are you going to do we're going to toss and turn or go so back to sleep then the next morning we're like dad gummit how come I didn't write that down that was the keys to the kingdom that morning I woke up back up my dog Bubba my chocolate lab he was with me on two books god bless him anyways that morning, that wasn't my story to tell, but I opened up back in the old school days, Fort Worth Star Telegram print, went out, brought my paper in. It was the 10th anniversary of the space shuttle blowing up over Texas. My heart started racing because I'm thinking space shuttle, Texas, I'm in North Texas. What is the seven wings to glory? Julia, even though it was not my story to tell, it already been told, unfortunately, in real life, there were seven on board. So what that told me is, okay, that's not my story, but the muse, my creator, gave me the gift of that title, and I better respect it and do something with it. And so I found, I found the story. Wow, that's very special. So many, so many things have happened like that. Um, I'll be quite honest, the dream sequence that I just read you, I've probably had versions of that that I've actually dreamed it in my own life. I've used, you know, you can hear all this stuff. Oh, you cannot do that. You can't open a novel that way, or you can't do that. You know what? Do whatever to make your story go at uh, work. And I have learned to trust dreams, even though my dreams come out maybe a little differently in novels. I've got in the final salute, that first novel, I have a whole chapter that's nothing but a dream sequence. The reader knows it's a dream, but the way I wrote it, the reader gets into the dream and then there are, they're experiencing it like my main character before he wakes up. He's in a chapel and in the novel, I'm not giving anything away there, but when, when my character is dreaming and the reader, the way I wrote it, it's like it's happening. 
all the pilots that have died in crashes, nothing left. They're all whole in a military chapel in Louisiana. It was a spiritual moment for me and it was hard to write. I had to rewrite it a bunch, but it's very moving. I think. I can only imagine, you know, I, I think about what you said about all these rules, all these unspoken rules and, and what we're told by editors or publishers or agents that we can and can't do, you know, we can't head hop. And then you see a Pulitzer prize winner who is head hopping all over the place. And I said, it must mean that you can do it if you do it very well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think and uh, here's a key, uh, uh, something too, maybe a writing tip for all those writers who don't know this, who or dreaming of writing or been writing. I read my work out loud. I not not when I first start writing it. Uh, it could be a few paragraphs, a whole chapter, a scene. I get to a point, and then I just know. And sometimes I print it out if I don't want to waste paper. I send it to myself in an email where I can just open up the document. It reads like a candle. And then I turn on my recorder and I walk through my house. And it's not that I like my voice. I don't. But I'm listening. And if I stumble on the words, then I'm like, okay, it's not ready yet. Get back to work. So it's key reading our work out loud or reading it out loud to someone you trust. Um is helpful. And then showing our work to family members who love us. So my husband loves me mostly after 43 years, but he's that he, he is able to listen and then say, you know what, that's the wrong word choice or no, that's really good. Or babe, I think you need to work on that some more. I don't think it's ready. And that's, He's my first listener besides my dogs. I think that's crucial. And I, I love to read out loud to myself because I, I can catch so many mistakes. You know, when you start stumbling over sentences, you realize that needs some work. So I think that's very important. Yes. Well, Kathleen, as always, our last interview question is, our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I do. And also, if I could cheat, it's for all of us at whatever age. Um, this is something that is on my website on a blog. I coined this phrase years ago. There was a young man in France struggling with his art. We were friends on Facebook. And I came up with this phrase and I, I gave it to uh, in New Orleans at, at MWSA when I talked about never giving up. Okay, this is for all of us regardless. But if we're over 50 and we started a novel, let's say we're 70 and we started that novel when we were 21 and we still have it, pull it out. It's okay. To all you writers, artists, musicians, creative types who want to give up, it's okay to walk away for a bit. Get your second wind. But your writing, art, music will be there lurking over your shoulder. And it will call to you. And you will answer and come back even stronger. And I know because I've lived it. 
Well, that is as inspiring to us today as you are to so many. So I'm just so thrilled to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Thank you, Julia. And there's Julia's first novel, everyone. No names to be given. It's done very well. And her second novel, The Fifth Daughter of of Thorn Ranch, is out now. Thank you so much, Kathleen. You're always paying it forward. That's why we love you. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.